0: Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day. What a blessing to see so many come out to, to worship your Heavenly Father. You know, that, that calling of Father is a very special calling. It's the only name that we share with God. Man, it's the only name we share with God, so it's, it's an important calling. Uh, my name is Mike Clary. I am not one of the pastors here. Okay? <laughs> You have two really good ones. I want to uh, introduce myself. I want to introduce my wife, Barbara. Barbara, will you please stand? As you can see, Beauty and the Beast. We we have we have two daughters, one son with the Lord, and four grandchildren. And uh, we've been up here about ten months now, and in in the fellowship here about ten months. Kind of trying to fit in here in in Florence, doing pretty well so far. the only problem that i 've had is with our washer and dryer. It keeps shrinking my levi's i don 't know i don 't know what the deal is, but um, we 'll pray here in a minute, but let 's just kind of back up a little bit we 're going to continue in our in our study of genesis, and if you 'll remember last week, the last we saw of Jacob, is that he stole the blessing from his father, from, from his father, from actually Esau, and he's on the run now. His wife, Rachel, says, man, you got to get out of here, your brother wants to kill you, so he heads to Pandanaram, and on the way there, running for his life, he comes to a place called Luz. And it's a desolate place, it's a desert, just nothing there, no water, nothing, just rocks. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, that's all they got is rocks. And so that night, he pulls up a rock for a pillow, and he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees angels ascending and descending from heaven. And when he wakes up in the morning, he said, surely God is in this place And I did not know it. And he changed the name of that place from Luz to Bethel, the house of God. And I believe, possibly, that at that point he was converted. Because God reiterated the uh, covenant that he had given Abraham and Isaac before him. But now in, in Genesis 32, if you want to turn there, it's 20 years later. He's coming home, he's coming home from Uncle Laban's and he hears some news that's kind of disconcerting to him. He hears that his brother is coming to meet him with 400 armed men. Now Esau, his brother, Esau actually means hairy. You know, Esau was kind of a scary guy, if you know what I mean. He was a hunter, he was a man's man, bulging biceps, you know what I mean? He was, you know, gun rack in the back of the pickup. The quintessential Oregonian. okay? Well, Jacob, on the other hand, means heel catcher or cheater. He was born second, and when he came out of the womb, he, he was actually hanging on to his brother's foot or, or heel. Now, Jacob's a kind of a different kind of a cat. He's, he, he's, he's a mama's boy. You know, he tuned in to the home and garden station. He was a kind of a a Martha Stewart type, if you know what I mean. But Jacob manipulated and maneuvered and stole his brother's birthright and his father's blessing. And then he ran to stay with his uncle Laban. Now he's going back to the promised land. And he's about to meet up with his brother Esau. And the last thing that he heard was that Esau wanted to kill him. So he's afraid. He's distressed. So in his natural character, this manipulator decides, well, I don't know what I'll do. I'll divide the company, my, my company. And he divides them into two parts. And first he sends the herdsmen to meet Esau along with all of the cattle and sheep and everything else that he had. And the herdsmen were to tell Esau, your brother Jacob is coming to meet you and these are for you. Not only does he do that, he sends them across the brook J. Brook, but then he sends his wives and his children across to meet Esau. Now, after he does that, he sends them across, and then he goes back across the brook J. The brook, and he has an encounter there. Before we read the story, what I want you to do is I want you just for a moment to think about the person that you know that needs to change the most. Just get that person in your mind, the person that needs... Don't look at him. Just... <laughs> just just think about them. Okay. Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles here. And uh, I don't know if we have a slide of this. But in uh, Genesis 32, beginning with verse 22, you can follow along with me. And I'm reading out of the New King James. And he arose that night and took two wives, his female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabuk. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Pinuel, it's another name for Piniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. I thank you for all the fathers that are here. I ask blessings upon them and upon their fathers. And Lord, we ask a blessing upon you, Lord. May you be blessed by our listening to your word, by our worshipful hearts and the love that, you have, that we have for one another. So Lord, we ask that you would now minister to us the milk, the meat, and the manna of your word, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. This is an incident in the life of Jacob that illustrates how God will change our lives. Not somebody else's our lives. See, we can't change anybody. If you try to change somebody, you're just going to be frustrated. The only person that you and I can change is ourselves. But after this event, Jacob will never ever be the same. Now, let me ask you another question. What would you like to change in yourself? What is it within yourself that you would like to change? See. Change is a necessary part of a growing life. And if we're not changing, if we're not growing, we just die. Now, most of us are interested in change, and that's why self-help books are so popular. They always end up on the bestseller list, you know, 30 Days to a New You. We buy books, we listen to tapes, we go to seminars, we try diets, but nothing seems to last why i believe it's because we focus on the externals rather than the internals we focus on the behavior rather than the attitude and this morning we're gonna look at the story of jacob this wrestling match with god and in this wrestling match we're gonna find four phases that god will take us through to make those changes in our lives. Jacob's weakness. He was a manipulator. He was a swindler. His name literally means cheater. How would you like to call that? You would be called cheater. What's your name? I'm a cheater. Phase one. I mean, you know if you want to do this. Phase one starts with a crisis. It says in verses 24 To 25, then Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of his hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now if we drop down to verse 28, we'll find out that this man that Jacob is wrestling with is none other than God himself. This is what is called a theophanies or Christophanies. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. See, wrestling is a fight or an activity that you get as close as you possibly can to your opponent. You become very intimate with your opponent. You come face to face with your opponent. The point of a wrestling match is to hold or pin down your, point, uh, uh, your opponent until he cries, uncle, I give up. Now, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever just struggled and struggled until you just gave up? You knew you couldn't win. You were in a no-win situation. This one lasted all night. What are you wrestling with this week? What problem are you struggling with? What are you sick and tired of and sick and tired of being sick and tired of? (laughs) Maybe it's an internal struggle. Maybe you feel like you're being torn apart. Maybe it's a struggle in a relationship that's been strained. Or ripped. Have you considered the fact that God is behind those circumstances? And this is a point, if you have your notes, I want you to write this. God uses a crisis to get our attention. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes He has to hit me over the head with a two by four to get my attention. Are you in a crisis this morning? If you are, well, congratulations. Because God is about to change your life. He wants to work in your life. Now, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. I don't think we have this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. Now this is a song of Moses as as God is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. In this song, Moses likens God to an eagle. And he says this, I think it's interesting. He says, As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord... Alone led him. A mother eagle. If you study eagles, there comes a point when they have the little eaglets in the nest. There comes a point when the mother senses that it's time for the little eaglets to learn how to fly. So, what does she, what does she do? She starts stripping away all the bedding, all the soft, comfortable thing that's in the nest. And pretty soon, the only thing that's left is the two-by-fours, you know, out of this nest. And the eaglets are just sitting there. Mom's gone nuts. What's she doing? She's tearing the house apart, you know? And what she wants them to do is to fly. Now, she's trying to get those eaglets to fly, and if they don't get out of the nest, you know what she'll do? She'll actually push them out of the nest to make them fly. You know, and they, you can just see these little eaglets, they're going down, they put out one wing, they start going in a circle, the other way. You know, and, and, and if they're going to fall, the mother eagle will actually swoop down and catch that little eaglet on its wing, take it back up to the nest. Now, it m- misses once in a while, but God never misses. <laughs> now, Why does the mother want them to fly? Because she knows if they just sit in that nest, if they don't start flying, they're just going to become 500-pound baby Hueys. Sitting there, I can't fly, I can't fly. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so she wants, to, wants them to fly. And that's what God does with us. He begins sometimes to strip away at all those things that make us so comfortable, the bank accounts, the relationships. He wants us to fly. He wants to make some some changes. In your notes, you might take note of this. We never change until the pain becomes greater than the fear of change. We never change until the pain becomes greater than the fear of change. See, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Jacob struggles all night. Finally, the pain is so great. He has to do something. God will bring this crisis into your life. You know, God loves you just exactly the way you are. And you probably heard this, but He loves you too much. To let you stay the same. He wants us to change. And if it takes a crisis, you can count on it. God will use it. So first of all, there's a crisis. And phase two is a commitment. Look at verse 26. And he said, Let me go. For the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now a lot of people think that... that Jacob has the upper hand here. If you go to Hosea chapter 12, th- verses 3 and 4, he, Hosea tells us that Jacob is pleading with God. Please, please bless me. Jacob's attitude is one of persistence. He's determined. He's going to stick with it. He's going to fight it out. And basically what he's saying to God is God, I'm going to stick with this struggle until something good comes out of it. You know, he said I've made a I've made an effort. I made an investment of time and energy and I'm not going to give up. Some of you have put time and energy into a marriage And you feel this way. You don't want to lose your investment. You're going to fight for your marriage as you should. You want it to work. And so God uses a crisis to get our attention. But oftentimes doesn't solve the problem immediately. God oftentimes waits to to resolve the problem to see if we really mean it. If we really mean business, am I really serious about change? See, the normal reaction to our weaknesses, our sins, whatever you want to call them, our problem, is to run from them, to deny them, to ignore them, to get out of the situation, to leave, to quit. God says, let's see how committed you really are to this change. Now, many people miss God's very best for them Because they give up too soon. They give up too soon when the answer is right around the corner. You know, we're great starters, but we're not very good finishers. People have come to me, and they've said, you know, Mike, this this is my problem. This is my weakness. This is what always gets me in trouble. This is what I've got to change, the sin, whatever it might be. And I say, have you prayed about it? No, yeah, I, I prayed once. Yep. Have you struggled all night with God over it? You know? See, we live in a microwave society. We want change. We want instant change. I want to change, and I want it right now. And if God doesn't change me overnight, forget it, God. And I say, where's the commitment? So first there's the crisis, then the commitment. You know, I meet a lot of married couples that are just about ready to give up when the answer is right around the corner. I'll tell you what, I'm really glad my wife didn't give up on me. Jacob said, I'm committed in this struggle and I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up until God turns these burdens into a blessing. See, we want change and we want change now. But in actuality... (laughs) It took us years to make this mess out of our life. It took years. We didn't develop these hang-ups overnight. It took years of bad choices and mistakes. We have ingrained patterns and habits, ways of reacting and responding. And God usually removes those layer by layer. But it takes a commitment. In Exodus chapter 23, God again is talking about leading the children of Israel back into the promised land. The land that flows with milk and honey. That land is a picture of the abundant, victorious Christian life that you and I are to live but there are giants in the lands. There are struggles. And in verse Exodus 23, verse 20, God says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's cool. God's going to send an angel before us. Here's another one of those those Christophanies. In verses 21 to 23, He says, Beware of him. Obey his voice, this angel. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hevites." the Jebusites, the termites, and the flashlights. And I just wanted to see if you were listening, okay? And I will cut them off. He said, my angel's going to go before you you as I bring you into the land. And my angel will destroy your enemies and your adversaries, the obstacles that would keep you from enjoying the fullness of the Christian life. Verse 28, he says, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. Hornets. I would never think of that. Would you? Anyway. Verse 29, I will not drive them out from, from before you in one year, l- l- lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you little by little while I drive them out from before you until you have increased and inherit the land. Why isn't it done in one year? Why doesn't God do it immediately? Because He knows in this case if the orchards were left, if the crops were left, they would all be ruined and spoiled. If He left the domesticated animals go, they would go back to the the wild. And what He's saying is You're not ready. You know, we need to make changes. But it's going to be little by little. If He changed us, all of a sudden, it'd blow our minds. I don't think we could handle it. God is driving out those enemies. He's making those choices. But layer by layer. And that takes a commitment. A commitment to a process. That process is called sanctification. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there's the crisis and then the commitment. Now phase three, phase three is confession. Verse 27, So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now why is God asking Jacob his name? He knows his name. He wanted him to admit who he was. See, in the Old Testament, your name was given as part of your or a picture of your your character or a character quality. Jacob means cheater. And what Jacob was saying to God is, I'm a cheater. It was an act of revelation, it was an act of confession. Jacob saying, My, my name is a reminder of all those people that I've cheated and hurt. Question today. If you were named for your greatest character weakness, what would your name be? What would you say? My name is anger. My name is resentful. My name is guilt. My name is unreliable, worrier, greed. What would your name be? What would your tag be? Now, here's the lesson. I'll never be able to change my weakness. I'll never be able to change my weaknesses until I admit them. And you've got to admit them to three people. First, you have to admit it to yourself. Then you have to admit it to, to God. And then a third person, somebody that you can trust. Phase three is to come face to face. Face to face, not just with God, but with yourself. What's my name? What I'm really like? And until we admit, or I admit my problem, God can't help me. To change, I've got to stop making excuses. I've got to stop blaming others. I've got to stop passing the buck. You know, Adam took it like a man. He blamed his wife. (laughs) It's humbling to admit your weaknesses, isn't it? But that's good. You know why? Because James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And grace is the power to change. You want to change? Well, then you need grace. You want grace? Be humble. How do you be humble? Admit your weakness. We're all struggling here, every one of us, with some issue in our life, whatever it might be. Nobody's perfect. We all need grace. And then the final phase, phase four, is cooperation. Back in Genesis 32 and, yeah, verses 28 to 30. And he said, "'Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. "'For you have struggled with God and and with men "'and have prevailed. "'Then Jacob asked, saying, "'Tell me your name, I pray. "'And he said, "'Why is it that you ask about my name?' "'And he blessed him there. "'So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. "'For I have seen God face to face "'and my life is preserved.'" The moment that Jacob confessed his weaknesses, his sin, his problem, he began to cooperate with God. And he called the place Peniel, which means face to face. Jacob came face to face with God. All of us must do that. We're all going to come face-to-face with God. You can run from God all of your life. But someday, you're not going to be able to run anymore. So why not face Him now? He wants to be your friend, not your enemy. Jesus came to, to save us, not to scare us. Eventually, all of us will face God. God wants to bless you even as He... He blessed Jacob. The first thing that God did is He gave him a new name, a new identity. You're no longer Jacob. You're no longer (coughs) cheater, supplanter, swindler, crook, crook. But your name is Israel. And that has a double meaning. It means he who struggles with God Which is true, but it has a second meaning. Prince of God. God looked at this cheater, this this man of the flesh, this manipulator. And he looked beyond the behavior and he says, I see underneath a prince of God. See, when God wants to change us, he starts with our identity. He starts with the way that we see ourselves. You know, believe it or not, he wants to see yourself as a saint. You know, J. Vernon McGee? Anybody remember him? Yeah, He He used to say, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. Okay? If you know Christ... And if Christ died for your sins and you've received the forgiveness of sin, then God has made you a saint. Although we're saints that sin, saints nonetheless. So God looked beneath the hangups and saw a prince. God dislocated Jacob's hip when he touched him. I want you to know, Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And it was a constant reminder of two truths. And we need to be reminded of these every single day. First of all, you've got to remember that the thigh muscle is the strongest muscle in in your body. And when God touched Jacob, He touched him at the point of his greatest strength. Sometimes, a strength that we have becomes a weakness. Because of this strength, we no longer rely on God. We begin to rely on ourselves, And that's where God touched him. So it's a reminder to Jacob as he limped. And it's a reminder to us, number one, to depend on God and not our own strength. We must depend on God to make the changes in our life. Will, willpower won't do it. Jacob, from this point on, never stood in his own power, but in the power of God. And second, if you read Jacob's life and the previous experiences that he had, when he got in trouble, what he did was run away. Ran away from his brother Esau. Ran away from his uncle Laban. He ran away. That was his MO. And so, what God is saying is, is Jacob, I'm going to fix it so you'll never run again. Running away never solves a problem. If you run away, where does your problem go? I guess it just goes with you because you know what? I be the problem. The lesson of Jacob, and this is the lesson: you don't have to stay the same. You can change, every one of us. If God can change Jacob, He can change anyone. And one of my favorite verses is out of Romans chapter 9, where God says of Jacob, Jacob have I loved. And if God can love Jacob with all of his hang-ups, with all of his stuff, He can certainly love me with all of mine and yours with all of yours. See, we're in this process of change. And so this morning as we close, the worship team can come up. As we close, let me ask you this. Where are you? Are you in phase one? Are you facing a crisis? Is God trying to get your attention? Or maybe you're in phase two. A commitment. Have you made a commitment to stick with the struggle until God changes this burden into a blessing? You know, it may seem easier to walk away from the problem, but I'll warn you, before you do that, you better check with God. Or maybe you're in the confession phase. What's this? What's your name this morning? What weakness defines you? What do you need to admit to face up to? Maybe you need to say, you know what? I got a drug problem. I got an alcohol problem. I'm an abuser. I'm unreliable. Whatever it might be. And phase four is cooperation. Take a step of faith and cooperate with your Father. Don't stay the same. Ephesians four twenty two and 23 says... So get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to, and put on the new self, which is created in God's likeness. Jesus said that you must be born again. And when you are born again, you then receive the divine nature within you. So when you're given this divine nature, you exchange your power for his power. He makes the changes. You can't. So my challenge is the next crisis, the next problem, struggling situation that you find yourself in, rather than asking God to get you out of it, say, Lord, Lord, Is there a lesson in this for me to learn? Lord, are you trying to change something in me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, you being concerned enough to want to make changes in our life. And so, Lord, I just... um, I pray for myself, Lord. I see areas that need, that need, to, be, need to change. And God, I, I admit, I've tried on my own. And so, Lord, I just want to cooperate with you this morning. And Lord, as we come into this time of communion, I pray that as we consider the cost that you paid, that, Lord, we would be broken again, that we would give up and just let you have your way with us. You gave it all when you gave Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we come into communion